0: We're on. Hi there. Hello. Alana Harari. <laughs> How are we?
1: We cannot complain.
0: Um, so we were just talking before about what you're doing. Yes. Uh, so what are you doing right now? Dropped a bit of a bombshell, didn't I? That's an awesome bombshell to be dropped. <laughs>
1: uh, what am I doing? I, am, I would say I'm the figurehead of the digital agency Loud Days... ...and I'd spend maybe 30% of my time in that digital agency... Yep. Uh, the rest of my time where I'm trying to do the maths in my head of 70% is at Philotomo. And so Philotomo is the performance agency. So we work with businesses to build them up, get their foundations right, work with their senior leadership team and get them ready for scale or sale scale. as we say in the biz. Um, and off the back of that we've got a private equity fund... And building a SaaS, so software as a service, which works with all the businesses in the fund, just to make them very, very efficient. And let me get my data geek on.
0: Okay, Uh, data geeking. And so your role is COO.
1: I am COO
0: of Volotimo. Yes. And and this is some of this stuff is new to you.
1: Yes, because you're going to ask me how I learned this, aren't you? And this is well, this is the this is the
0: learning to fly (laughs) podcast. Just name drop there. Um, so, okay. So, well, let's do. I'm um, because I'm interested in. Obviously, I, I've known you through the Loud Day side of things, yes. and and now you've dropped this whole new role <laughs> into me into this as well. So, this is really good, which works. So, let's go backwards because I want to find out how did you figure all this out and whether it was by design or just haphazardly. Um, there's still sometimes a method. So what's going on here? So um, Harari. Harari. Where, what's the nationality? What's the background to that name? I haven't asked you this before. No,
1: either. no, Harari. Most people just say Ferrari. That's Italian. Um, the background, I believe, is French Egyptian. So my father was born in Egypt, came out to Australia when he was two, so very, very Aussie. Yeah. Uh, but his father and his mother were... In Egypt and have a French background from that. So, yeah. Yeah. Equally as cool as Ferrari, I think.
0: Yeah, Harari, French-Egyptian. Yeah. I think neighbours from England. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Anyway, moving on, it's not about me. Um, so, French-Egyptian. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to school? Secondary school?
1: Secondary school, so school in Melbourne at a private girls' school. Yeah. Um, primary school was in Carlton. Okay. Yeah.
0: So so in so in secondary school, because mm-hmm. I bet if, if, if I met you when you were 15 <laughs> years old and I asked you, what do you want to do when you grow up? You might not have said, I want to be a figurehead for a digital marketing agency and a COO for a Whatever the <laughs> the list of things that you were just yes. talking about. so what what did you want to do when you were, say, fifteen years old? this,
1: this is this is highly embarrassing and yep. this is not remotely preempted because this is, know. this is
0: between you and me mm-hmm. and nobody else.
1: I wanted to be an animal psychologist, and I wanted to not have anything to do with humans.
0: Wow, <laughs> that's like um that's like Aubrey Plaza off. Parks and, and Rec.
1: Yep, I wanted to figure out why your dog wouldn't go through that dog door, or why your cat was such a jerk.
0: Did you grow up with a lot of pets?
1: No, had a cat, Maggie. <laughs> I <was> like,
0: no, <laughs> I had no animals in my life at all.
1: I had tadpoles. Um, I had a cat, Maggie. Yep. And I now have a cat, Moscow. But no. Okay. Just loved animals. Animals really do like me. But I just I didn't want anything to do with humans. Okay. Which ironically now I have everything to do with humans. Everything to do with
0: humans, and 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 at that age too, it's difficult in school because you're surrounded by humans. Humans,
1: yeah. And all I was time. a rower, so I was with a group of girls constantly in a boat, and then in class, and yeah, I had had really good friendships, so it wasn't about hating
0: individuals. You just preferred the <laughs>
1: just wanted to be the animal, an
0: animal type compared to the human type.
1: I haven't thought about that in years. That's highly embarrassing.
0: So so what? So animal psychology. So what? So so what's what subjects did you gravitate towards?
1: <laughs> Shockingly, psychology. Yeah. Um, so loved, loved psychology. Um,
0: they, had, they had psychology in your secondary school?
1: They did. You had... Man, that's flash. B- back in my day, um, you had to do a science. And so I was not a chemistry or a biology kind of gal. Um, and psychology was deemed to be a science. I, I remember I was going to do chem and my dad said, but do you like it? And I said, well, no, but it will get me a good inter-school, TER school. And he said, but if you don't like it, why would you even do it? And that kind of does set the foundation for my life of if it doesn't make you happy, what's the point?
0: I wish my dad had had a <laughs> conversation with me. If you listen to last week's podcast about extra science, you will oh, really? understand, yes.
1: Okay, okay, well. But I, like I, I, I
0: don't want to go back down that dark... Oh, um, dark.
1: This is about brilliant. me today. This, this is about you. you.
0: So psychology, got into that then?
1: Got into psych, really, really loved it. Um, international studies and politics were other two ones that I loved.
0: In secondary school? <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what secondary school is this? Do you want me to say No, it? no, you don't no. have to,
0: but I'm just thinking this is a, th- this is a nice school.
1: I, I almost failed woodwork and home economics. Uh, okay, that's sounding more home traditional. Home economics, yeah. Can't even say what it is. Home economics. We had to cook things, and I nearly failed cooking macaroni and cheese.
0: Yeah, that probably told you that's not going to be yeah. the path that I go down.
1: Not going to be a good wife. So,
0: anyway. <laughs> so psychology and international politics mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So, so what's what's the what's the what's your memory of a teacher back then? What did, was it? A teacher in psychology or in international politics? In terms of also sort of lit the fire in terms of that subject matter for you? Or it was like, no, they were just shocking. I just love the stuff anyway.
1: Um, I, I don't know if this really helps with the theme, but for me it was never about the subject itself. So I'm, I, I've never done psychology out of high school, but I love it. And I love reading people. And that's definitely a superpower for me in business. But I had... <laughs> ...a really good English teacher and a really bad English teacher. And yep. I do think that they were the two who set me up for where I was going. The bad one, which I, I've never told anyone this, so... You <laughs> don't have to mention me. any names. Um, I was in year seven and she said to me... ...so is it year seven, what's that? Are you 11 or 12 or something years old? Yeah, you... Young enough. Yeah. She said, well, I don't think you're particularly bright. We should probably keep you back. And they were her exact words. Didn't tell my parents, told me I was, was going to say,
0: did your parents find this out?
1: No, they did not. She quit being a teacher the next year. She went into a completely different industry. But for me, and I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty self-assured, I'm, I'm good with what I've got. I just remember being so confused as to why would someone do that yep. to such a young person. But then the flip side of that was fast forward to year nine. So two years later. Yep. I had a glorious teacher called Miss Dinesh, Jules Dinesh, I believe is her name. I'm sure, she's listening, and she took me aside. and I remember exact words were, "I don't know who ever told you you weren't smart enough, but them themselves are an idiot." Yeah. And she made learning so much fun. We had to learn Shakespeare, and I hate Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I'm not that way inclined, and. It wasn't about that though. She got this, and I'm sure everyone says it, this love of learning, that no matter what you were learning, you could find something really good about it. And she took everyone from the smartest going to be ducks of school right through to apparently the girl who was meant to be kept behind. um, And she just made you all equal. And from year nine onwards I became an A student and fell in love with learning and always wanted to be just finding something new. I'm not particularly... How do I say this? I'm intelligent but I wouldn't be what you call book smart. Yeah. I have to work to be book smart. But you're curious. Very, very curious. And I got, you know, all the good scores and everything that you need to get. But I would say my family, very, very smart, very well read. They're, I would say that I'm not the smartest one in the family but they would say that I am the smart one in the family yep. because we're very different in how we come at things. I also don't give up. Yeah. So when the teacher said... Not, not very bright. I, 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 couldn't not. I had to find a way to. Um,
0: you'd be, you'd be surprised the amount of things that I have done in my life that's driven me to do things purely out of spite. <laughs> I will spite is an, a a powerful uh, thing that can be used. go, I will show you mm. that you don't again that you don't believe that I can do this. Now I'm going to do this thing. I might hate it at the end of it. But I'm gonna do it anyway, <laughs> <you> just <laughs> to show you that I can do it, and might take years.
1: We should start a business together. I know that we would should, be fun. We,
0: Yeah, exactly. Spite Incorporated. Yeah. Um, we'd win. I know. So and, and so yeah, and I and I still can you still remember that teacher? It sounds like you can still remember that teacher having that conversation with you, in terms of that um, rebuilding that self belief.
1: Absolutely, and I I don't even think it was a conversation as such. She was so confused, mm. and I do look back on it with what I didn't know. So my my school had nearly 400 girls in my year level. Very, very big. Um, you either love it or you hate it. I was lucky enough that I found a good group of friends. So I really, really loved it. But you could do anything that you wanted. And her attitude towards me was such of, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you thinking that you can't do things? That I almost felt that I had been silly for having listened to the fact Mm. that this person had said this thing to me. And for anyone listening, it did not affect me that much. But when it comes up of who are your favourite teachers, I I love this idea of you should know what you don't want to do more so than you should know what you do want to do in life. Yeah. And so automatically I thought, well, I loved this particular teacher and I had fabulous teachers all the way through. But you do have this one teacher that does... they have to knock you in some way because that's... Part of what life is not everyone is nice or friendly, but the fact that she had quit being an educator for me that kind of even yeah. the next year, so year eight when she left, and we heard that she had gone into a corporate of some sort straight away. I just I thought, well, it's not a shock.
0: No, and and so yeah, it, kids and education just wasn't your thing, and and especially in those teen years because you're so you're still discovering yourself and still building yourself, and you're so impressionable in terms of you're still taking bits from everything that you're experiencing and sort of attaching it to yourself to work out who are, you know who am I and, and and all you need is someone who's in an authority position to say you're this or you're not this and you take that stuff to heart.
1: And it's a good thing that I don't really care what people think yeah. because had I been um, a softer sort of a child, that could have been it. I, I could have gone down a completely different path but it is probably quite credit to my upbringing and to my family and to my friends that... It, it really didn't probably knock me as much as it should have. Yeah, I've
0: got better at that. I think yeah. I was, I've got better at not caring as oh, much. Oh, it? yeah. uh, it's good. So it's a learned thing, I think. It's.
1: A nice trick that I learned, and I learned this while planning my wedding... Um, ...if you say, I don't care, you come across as really harsh. But if you say, I don't mind, you seem more malleable. So it's not that you don't care what people think, you just don't mind what they say. I don't mind what you say. No. Yeah. And you are. You're welcome to your opinion. It's a nice way to be, as we
0: all are. So, I I, I mentioned this to. To Nigel before that I was going to ask you this question. Yes. He said this could send off us, us off a variety <laughs> of places.
1: Nigel, by the way, works with me, so yes. he knows me very, very so well. So
0: this is my question, and, and before we then jump into post-school, I'm interested in what was the first band you discovered <laughs> that was not through your parents or your family? Because often, you know, right up to a certain age, you're very much listening to what dad or mum's mm-hmm. playing and all that sort of stuff. But at a certain point, and there's always one like this is my band. I discovered it. No one else discovered it. This is, this is my band. What was the first? And it could be a solo singer or a band. But what was the first music that's all yours for good or for better for worse? What's the first one that you discovered?
1: Okay, ones that were given to me by my peers. TLC, Crazy, Sexy, Cool on tape.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to comment too much on this, but it keep on going. It gets yeah.
1: um, The first single I bought, and I, be- I believe I did hand over a $5 note for this. Smash Mouth. Can't get enough of your oh,
0: baby. Oh, <laughs> Smash Mouth. Okay.
1: Can't hardly wait. The movie was out. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> the first album.
0: <laughs> Smash, Smash Mouth. <laughs> Wow.
1: I own it. I also used to work at Universal Music, so I meant to be Not good even at not music. even smash mouth,
0: <laughs> not even smash mouth walking on the sun.
1: No. We're no. going
0: can't get enough, can't get of, enough you, of you, baby. baby. Well, okay.
1: I would have been all of 10. Yeah. For that one. The um the first album that I bought by myself that was a little bit naughty was a Nelly Country Grammar. Nelly. Yep. Okay. And I remember listening to it in my room. And again, I maybe was 11 and my brother came in and (laughs) he said to me, just tell mum and dad that this is mine. Yeah. Because there are lyrics that are not appropriate for an 11-year-old on that. Not from Nelly. Not from Nelly. So you're getting a nice little spectrum of my sorts of music. Yeah, so TLC, Smash Mouth and Nelly.
0: That is something that you would not normally find on a sort of a – even a playlist, really. That's quite. You
1: haven't had this in this podcast, have you? No, no.
0: Uh, what do
1: people say? The Eagles and
0: well, no. Often you do get the um, you do get the kind of, you know, a, lot of a lot of people that's th- through the parents is, is Beatles and it's yeah. Led Zeppelin and it's all and it's
1: that's Queen
0: and it's yeah. all that kind of stuff uh, and it's Bowie and all those sorts of things and then yeah, sometimes it's finding out that somebody <laughs> you know first you know got into You know.
1: (laughs) Nelly and Smash Mouth.
0: Stained. (laughs) Stop looking at me differently. Not not that I'm... But but I I was just trying to think of Mm -hmm. uh, those really interesting 90s bands.
1: Yeah, and I think I did have a... um, I was was born in 87. Yeah. And I have two older siblings and I've got a close family full of lots of cousins who are all older than me and close uh, friends who are older than me. So I was brought up... With '90s grunge that I completely rebelled against, yep. and went into pop, and now yeah, I love country music. You give me Eagles, Fleetwood Mac, that sort of folksy stuff, I love it.
0: Yeah, so so, so grunge was <laughs> grunge was <laughs> almost that was almost the that's the stuff that everyone's listening to, mm. and that's like not rebellious at all. So I will go down,
1: go down, yeah. And yeah. you know, you got usual, your Michael Jackson that. Can't listen to him anymore. Just yeah. cannot do it.
0: I don't need Nirvana. Give me ABBA.
1: Give me ABBA. Give me a bit of Dancing Queen done by Steps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, let's... Let, let's. Okay, that's, that's great to know.
1: But it does have to be said that I worked at Universal Music for six years and they still hired me knowing this information.
0: Where, were you in school? Where, 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 no, when did you work no, for Universal? I had
1: a, this was one of my first full-time jobs. I know I'm jumping but... Yeah? Yeah. Universal so, Music.
0: Okay, so school, so what did you do? Did you go to uni after school? I
1: did, I did. I went to uh, RMIT and got a Bachelor of Communications, brackets, PR. So that was where you had to sit an entrance test, an interview, and pass an exam. Um,
0: so what made you not want to go down either the animal psychology, <laughs> psychology, you know, in terms of the stuff that you were into in school, what moved you, what happened where you go, okay, I want to do PR or comms or things like What was the thing?
1: Um, when I was in year 12 or year 11, I got chronic fatigue. Because you know, I'm very type A and whatnot. Apparently that's how we get it. And I would every day, I would be able to go to school for two hours in the morning. I would then have to come home and sleep and would then go to a neighbour's house who was home. And would sit with her, and she said to me, "You'd be good at PR." Okay. And I thought.
0: And how long? In terms of the sure. chronic fatigue, in terms of that, how long mm. did that go for?
1: Um, so I had chronic for well, it's still quite dormant even 15 mm. years later. Um, shock horror! I was the sort of person who didn't want um, extra credit or what's that word? You get consideration. Yep. Didn't want consideration for it because that's just not cricket. And so all through year 11 and 12 I had chronic and through my exams and then into uni days also had it but I was able to manage it with uh, the usual exercise, healthy diet and being a 18-year-old raging on during the week and at uni. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It just becomes part of the lifestyle.
1: It, it really does. And then if you don't look after it then you know what's going to happen. So very big on this idea of cause and effect where after 19 days of... ...going out, working, doing uni and whatnot... ...you were suddenly just so exhausted that you couldn't talk. hit the wall. Talk. It was a shock that you still have chronic fatigue. Yeah. So yeah, learnt at an early age to take responsibility as, yes. b- as I'm told.
0: It's all about that balance. Yes. So so again, you had another example of a person... ...obviously in terms of telling you something or saying something to you... ...that you really took inwardly in terms of, hey, you should do so I was yeah. like, oh, yeah.
1: okay. Sounds good. Sat the exam with uh, my best friend and... I got through. So they wanted me based on the entrance test. And it should be said that I was studying like a mofo. Um, I was sitting in the... (laughs) I haven't thought of any of this in years. I would go to the library every lunchtime by myself. I would leave my friends and I would read the newspaper because the entrance test was based on uh, current events, obviously making sure you're up to date. And then you had to write an essay on yourself at the end.
0: Self-reflection.
1: Self-reflection, third person. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so I, I studied very hard because I decided that I looked into PR and it seemed like a thing and this uh, person uh, loved her dearly and if she said that I would be good at it, well, maybe I, I would be good at it. And if I could get through the entrance exam then couldn't hurt. But no pressure because just be happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs>
0: and, 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 and And sort of... Subtly, they're going, and I believe you can do this exam. I think you're gonna ace it. And it's like, okay, I'll I will prove that you're correct.
1: I can do this because you said I should. Yeah, spite and um, yeah. So I studied for it, worked for it, passed the entrance exam, which was fabulous. (laughs) Oh wow! Um, I was on schoolies when they called for to say that I'd passed the entrance exam, but I had lost my phone at schoolies. ...and for no particular reason on the entrance exam form... ...had put my mother's mobile number and not mine. Right. I think I must have been stressed or flapped in an exam.
0: You put the emergency contact details?
1: In the actual details. And thank goodness I did because then they only call three times. That was the rule. And so they called my mother and she called me to say...
0: What do you mean? They only call three times and if you don't answer... ...they just give it to somebody else? Yep. They go down the list. Yeah. Okay.
1: Them's the rules. And my mother called me to say I just got this phone call from RMITPR... ...and apparently not only did you put my number down... ...but you also passed the entrance exam. You're so
0: in.
1: well you have to go for the interview now.
0: All right. But well, come on, please. Come on. You wasted.
1: Guys, you'll see a picture of me later. It'll be yeah. fine. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so and I always look at that as a nice sort of... ...there's a reason that I put my mother's phone number... Yeah. ...randomly on an exam form. ...because they were going to call.
0: So, yeah. Interview. Yeah. Aced it. Yeah. Did the PR stuff. Yeah. And then at the end of that experience said... ...I'm going to go into PR, this is what I want to do... ...or did you pivot again?
1: <laughs> I pivoted. Where'd you go? I went to Dublin as part of uni... Um, ...for, I think it was nearly about nine months. Nine yep. months to a year. And was on college over there and studying and... Uh, a guy that I knew there said that he could get me an internship with Universal Music Dublin and I went, all right, mate. Sounds good. Please and thank you. And so he did and then I was there for two weeks before I had to go back to Australia. And so then Universal Music Dublin called Universal Music Australia and said, hey, we've got this intern. We're keeping her. <laughs> oh, no, they, they wanted me home by then. <laughs> yeah, we'd beat we'd beat Ireland at something. Yeah. Some sport maybe. Cricket that they shouldn't win. Yeah. And so they were not a fan of me. No. But that's okay. Um, yeah, so they called Universal Music Australia and said, You should hire this girl. And I got home, I think maybe four or five weeks went by, just went back to uni. And I get this random phone call from the person who would then become my boss at Universal Music saying, We think that the Dublin office called us and told us that we had to hire you. Do you want to come in? <laughs> I went in there, and um, Jules Jules Hill, who was my boss for I think six years, uh, took me on as an intern when they didn't have an internship program. And then, so I worked at Universal while I was at uni, yep. just doing sort of side jobs to get industry experience to see what I actually wanted to do. And then I left Universal to try an advertising agency and hated it. Which anyone who's in an advertising agency agree, yes. might disagree. And so I called up Jules and said, will you have me back? Internship is fine. And within four months a role had come up. Yep. And so I got to interview for that and that was it. And what was the role? I was a PR and promotions manager.
0: Handy that you did that at RMIT.
1: Very handy. Not a lot of press release writing. My job was more around... Well, there are two sides of it and I think you'll not, see a nice little tangent here. One side was... Um, Getting music played on radio stations. So my radio stations, and now that you know my taste in music and Taylor Swift forever, um, my radio stations were Triple R and PBS, and I looked after the street presses. There you go. There you go. Um, so my job was to sell in bands that I had never heard of because yep. I was not cool enough into Triple R yep. to ask them to play this music. And what I learnt very very quickly was if I if I was to sell it into them not only would I be found out because I'm not cool, but we we actually just wouldn't have any form of a relationship because I was blatantly lying to them. Yep. So I found out very, very quickly if I could go in there and actually just talk to them to say, mm, here are my priorities of what I have to get played. Here's what you're actually going to like over... And I was there for about six years, obviously, you know, moving yep. around and all that sort of stuff. But um, I got I got to realise that if you just don't lie and you are... ...honest and upfront. Yeah. Humans are good.
0: Oh. Lay it all on the table, people just like... ...okay, now you're
1: I'm, I'm talking to me as a human being. Yeah. And so they would... ...because um, they're all very, very good... ...very smart, intelligent people who know music really well. These are the editors and the music directors of all these stations and whatnot. And they would tell me the most wildest stories... ...about each of the bands and the singers that I would be putting in front of them... ...because they lived and breathed it. And so... Um, I had really good relationships with them because I think out of all of the different um, record labels, I knew that I just couldn't push. And, you know, I I joke about Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, country music was a priority on one of the radio stations. And we all knew it wasn't going to happen but they actually played her. And I got an email from my boss and the (laughs) the marketing manager for um, Swift's label so excited that it had been played on the country music show. And that was just on
0: and look and and then that was the moment I think that Taylor Swift just
1: oh she, she exploded. Just, you're welcome. yeah, you're welcome, tay. Um, and then the other side of that job was pretty much taking rock stars around to interviews and whatnot. But so my bosses would look after the bigger guys, so the Novas and the Foxes and the Herald Suns and the age. and I would look after more your street press, yeah, cool stuff. so i got I got really great brands to hang out with because you know they were smaller and. Just all, all, all very nice
0: people. Yep. And then at some stage you recognised the music industry was going to be changing and it's time for me to get out of this rec- record biz because it's,
1: it's... It's not a it's, thing. It's
0: going to be changing. Spotify it's, wasn't around it's, when I... No, but you could, you could see it coming on yeah. the horizon. Come on.
1: Um, I went back to uni while I was at Universal. Yep. Um, Because I just... It, it sounds so cliche but I love learning. Yeah. I realised that in the line of work that I wanted to get into, I, ...a degree probably sorry a master's probably wasn't going to make a huge difference. So I did. I started off a master's of marketing. I don't believe I finished. I got to diploma level. Yep. At which point I said, I'm I'm not entirely sure that this is going to help for my direction. And so then I just started to do short courses, just general upskilling yep. and things that I was interested in. Yeah.
0: And and so with those short courses and the the marketing side mm-hmm. of things, what happened next?
1: Oh, what happened next? So I left Universal Music and I went to another agency and it was not a great time. Yep. I think maybe I lasted five months there. I then went to a PR firm and... While I was there I realised that it actually had nothing to do with them. I'd been, you know, six years at UMA which I loved and had fabulous people... ...but I think I was pretty burnt out from it. I went to the agency that didn't have a great culture and got even more burnt out. So when I hit the PR firm I don't think there was anything that they could do. You had nothing left in the tank? Nothing left. Um... There are a few things. I came in as an account manager, and I probably should have come in as an account executive, mm. even though I'd been, you know, industry. Yeah, uh, it just it wasn't the right move for me. But I didn't believe that there was the training there that yeah. would allow me to step down and then be able to learn up. Yeah. So I went to the general manager. I was a cocky little brat, wasn't <laughs> I? Um, I think I went to the general manager maybe after two months and yeah. said, "This just isn't." It, it's, High self-awareness. It's, it's not you, it's me. Yep. Um, I'm sure I, I was gave him feedback as well, no doubt. Um, and so yeah, I quit it all. Again, my parents. Yep. If you're not happy, it's not worth it. And yeah, so I quit it all and decided probably I could do... ...I could do this social media thing. Yeah. So in that time I had built... Um, ...I built up a bit of a social media department at the digital agency... Um, ...and I had built three social media strategies for quite big events in Melbourne. And I knew that I had a basic knowledge of what this thing was, keeping in mind it was Facebook and Twitter at this stage. There was nothing else. Um, And so my business partner now husband Tim, Mm. he's he's a he is what I would define as an entrepreneur. I am not an entrepreneur, I'm I'm a businesswoman. He's the sort of person who when he was in primary school, he would make his mum make two sets of sandwiches and sell one. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah. He's one of them. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, I don't want to be with someone who has to be tied to a job. Why don't you have a go at building your own thing? That sounds super harsh but, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and so I had a go at building a social media agency and fast forward... Ten years, pretty good. Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's the and was that was your mindset at the time? Like, hey, if it doesn't if it doesn't work, I'll just do something else. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Kind of thing.
1: I think you know me well enough to know that. Yes, that was my mindset. As is my mindset now. Everything will be okay.
0: And have said, look, uh, you know, if, if, if you know, if you want to twist the knife, you like, mm, I'm not too sure you could do the social media agency thing.
1: Oh, really? Oh, oh well, that's okay. what we're doing, is it? Let me uh, get back to you next week on that one. <laughs> no, always supportive. We started it together. Yes. Yeah, so started it as a consultancy, then we moved it into an agency that was um, high volume, high quality, and every two years we pretty much reinvent the agency. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, my, as you can tell, my whole mindset is it'll be okay.
0: Yeah, So and, and, and you've talked to me a little bit about this before. Um, And I'm interested just to to you explain it again because I think you've got a a, a really unique insight. And how do you guys approach that whole social media, marketing, digital things maybe differently to what it's being done by a lot of places out there? Because I think the way you describe it is quite different.
1: I do recall this. When I first met you, I'd been brought into the room and I was that social media girl.
0: I know. Well, I, 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 okay. I, but I, but again, I get pictures yeah. from people, and and people always say stuff, and and it's always like, yeah, yeah, you sound like everybody else, mm. but you don't.
1: That's nice.
0: So, for for the for for everyone out mm. there, what's your approach to this whole thing? The way you look at the whole thing? How do you look at it differently, maybe to what mm. other people do?
1: Um, well, I hope it's differently, or I hope it's the same, mm. because it means that clients will be looked after. To To me as a person and me as the agency, social media has got to be a value add that generates money in the bank. So things like social media posting is absolutely pivotal for brand awareness and brand equity. But it means that when you do a post, that's what you have to measure it on. Everything that comes around at your website, landing pages, e-newsletters, advertising, that has got to be making sure for every dollar you spend that that dollar and at least one cent is coming back into your bank account. And, uh, you know, you can throw words like agile and transparency everywhere. But as an agency, it's really easy to lie to clients Mm. and to say, oh, no, you've, you've reached 2,000 people. I prefer to look at things around acquisition models. So cost of acquisition versus a lifetime value. If you are going to buy a BMW, how much can you spend to acquire that client and how long are they going to stay with you as a client? Now, if I buy one BMW, we know that I'm probably going to buy another five. So my cost of acquisition can be a little bit higher because then once I've acquired them, I'm going to keep them for the next five cars. Something like a Coca Cola, for example, where it's a $3 can, is fighting against, I'm going to sound like Mountain Dew and Fanta and water and orange juice and milk. Their cost of acquisition has to be lower because they might not keep that client for so long if they're testing so digital to me definitely has to be about all the money that comes in from getting a lead to converting a lead across the span of a business as opposed to being let's put up a post and we'll be right. Yeah. W- is that what, it, what got you excited about well, Yeah, uh, Yeah, I think the
0: way you talk about it and I think you've talked about that it's, you know, you talked about the, and, I, and, I, and I'm not going to say what you said because I'll completely stuff it up and, and ruin it, <laughs> but you talked about the fluff thing. And I, and oh, I, and, the and, stuff
1: and the fluff. The stuff
0: in the fluff because a lot of people, talk, you know, talk about look at the number of likes I've got yeah. or or this is how much traffic has come to your website and, you, and you're very clear about that's not really where you want to be looking at in terms of success or looking at the, that's not really the data you should be looking at.
1: Yeah, so the the, the stuff and the fluff. Mm. The, the fluff is likes, reach, engagement. Um, ...open rates on a new newsletter. That is that it's really, really good and it's going to tell you a lot of information... ...that is, yes, you're hitting a good audience. Yep. Or, yes, your message is interesting to them. The stuff is what happens after that. If you've got a community of 2,000 people... ...and you've got two people converting into a sale, is that good? Or if I can give you a community of 200 people... ...and 200 of them convert into a sale, Mm. is that good? And this is the discussion and stuff and fluff is... I actually got that from um, a client of mine who called sales stuff and marketing fluff. So I stole it, made it my own. Um, It just made perfect sense to me. And my aim is always to explain things as simply as possible to the client or the person I'm, I'm in front of, even if it means that we don't get the job or I'm not the right person because the worst thing that can happen is that I lie to them and they don't understand it. Or whatever it might be, and six months down the track, you've just had you know four or five months of pain where it was never the right fit. Yeah, hmm.
0: yeah, and and I and I think the way you also, um, your view around like have the have the customer own the data in terms of be able to not 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 pay to access the data like it's yeah. your data, you can go and see it live. You can
1: yeah, we we have interesting um, interesting discussions with clients because as happens, agencies you lose clients and. It can be for many reasons including that it's just time for them to move on and they are so confused when they call up to have what they deem to be an awkward discussion and our response is absolutely no worries. Here's how we're going to transfer everything over to you. Not that – and I wouldn't say we lose a lot of clients but you lose enough especially as you're beginning to know that it's nothing personal. Yeah. They're ready for a change, taking it in-house and so – we decided that if um, if from the very beginning of the relationship we could educate them on the data, we could make sure that it was accessible to them 24 hours a day and I, I say small things, small things like business manager which is how you do advertising in social media, uh, if we can set that up in the name of the client as opposed to us owning it, it means that they've got more power. And even when, you know, even... Two years ago we used to set it up in our names. Now whenever a client comes on, part of onboarding is, Mm. well, let's set this up with you, I'll take you through it, our ads team will sit with you and show you what needs to happen so that when, if it ever comes that they want to leave us or generally they just want more knowledge, they feel empowered to actually take that next step. Um, But for anyone who's a client out there listening, you own the data. Everything else, yes, you can talk about IP of an agency, you've paid for it. So talk to them about getting it back.
0: (laughs) We we uh we drink from the same Kool-Aid on the on the IP stuff. It's like, yeah, you paid for it, like you it's yours. You can do what you want with it and it's it's yeah. You shouldn't yeah. have to pay for access to it.
1: And also it's still in our heads. If worst case scenario we were that special, but give it to the client. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we get on. So
0: So the, the, the and, and I and I love your title of, of figurehead um for loud days right now, which is um where I'd ideally like to be moving to. Um but In terms of the COO for the other organisation, how are you figuring that thing out? Like that's a... It's a big one. That's a big one. How are you figuring that out?
1: Uh, So I was, again, lucky enough that through building Loud Days, um, and this is the influence definitely of Tim, my partner, he said you can't be in a consultancy um, with the digital because you'll never be able to have a holiday. So why don't we build a systemised process for social media. So Days, the agency is run on a process. Mm. Everything from how you onboard a client, how you build a schedule, how you report, everything is systemized, yep. checklists. And they're just my favourite thing in the world. Yep. And so as the performance consultancy was building, it just became the natural progression of, well, if done right, operations should give the boundaries for people to operate in to be themselves so it shouldn't tell them how to run a client session mm. it should tell them don't forget to talk about these five things and that's honestly how I fell into operations then it just became personality I'm I can be hard to work with I there's a certain way of doing things and I've had to learn that other people have equal and if not better ideas than myself um and I pardon can I swear no <laughs> yeah. I yeah I get shit done yeah you won't have something on my desk for more than three days. If it's bigger, then there's a plan of attack around it. And so I, I don't know where it came from, but I I believe that just makes me a good But operator. it does
0: sound like you've been action-oriented for a lot my of your life. life in yeah. Terms, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, it, you know, it comes back to things like the rowing. Yeah. You actually don't have any choice but to get out of bed at 5am. You don't have any choice but to get in the boat, so you may as well do it.
0: And also when you're in the boat, you've got to row because if you're not... <laughs>
1: you got to row. Yeah. And so why would you be there if you weren't going to row? And I won't say that I don't do anything half-heartedly because I absolutely do. But if you're going to do it, my point of view is either find a way to enjoy it or do not do it but be honest about the fact that you're not going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is probably where the operations came from was just getting it done.
0: Do or do not, there is no try. (laughs) Yoda? Yoda.
1: Yes I no. Sorry.
0: <laughs> okay. Um we're actually gonna stop it there. Uh in all honesty. Uh, I think that's a perfect moment uh to finish this with uh Alana saying no to Star Wars.
1: But Fast and Furious, hell yeah. Uh
0: another reason to stop this podcast. Uh so wow. So uh thank you very much for your time. Uh it's been awesome to talk to you. Wonderful. And uh yeah, we'll um we'll keep on talking and talk soon.
1: Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye. Bye.